Okay, yeah. Okay. I'm a mover, so I might move here and there. So just so you you know what's going to happen just in advance. Um, okay. So just thank you for having us, me, my wife, my kids, and my family. My mum's here, my brother's here, so it's a real pleasure to have them in the building today. I think it's the first time my mum's going to see me preach ever, so <laughs> let's hope it's a good thing. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm just going to go, jump straight into this, the, the sermon, and, and we'll see where God takes us. Um, but I'm just going to start with a little anecdote to kind of hopefully set the scene, uh, and you guys can get an idea of what I'm trying to share with you guys today. Um, so I remember when I was in high school, um, a long time ago, well, I'm 35, so about 20 years ago maybe, um, and you know, high school can be a difficult time, so I find it a bit difficult, so I'm, I'm, I'm French, uh, English isn't my first language, so in, you know, going to high school was always a bit tricky. Um, you know, making friends, uh, getting on with lessons, preparing for your GCSEs, or doing your air levels. So for me, high school was a bit more challenging, and then there was some family stuff in the background, so high school was a bit more difficult. Um, but I had these teachers in school which were super instrumental to me. There were three teachers which meant so much to me in my days in school. So you had Mr. Ahmed, uh, who was my law teacher in year 11 and 12, doing my A-levels, that's right, yeah, Mr. Ahmed. Uh, he was great. Um, then we had Mr. Hines, who was my English teacher. Mr. Hines drove this red beetle. You could never miss it. And he swayed how you remember the little, you know, details. He had this red beetle, and I was a great teacher. And you had Mrs. Hamer. She was this Jamaican lady, really short, with a thick Jamaican accent. Oh, my goodness, was she a force to be reckoned with. And she was a great woman. Uh, and these three teachers really uh, helped me to enjoy high school. These three teachers were, were so wonderful. They were the kind of teachers that enabled you uh, to be your best. They were the kind of teachers that pushed you to, to think good of yourself, pushed you to aim higher than, than what you thought of yourself. They were the ones that said, Nick, don't sell yourself short. You can do this. You are better than this. Don't sell yourself short. They were the ones who would speak well on your behalf. They were the ones that would think really good of you. They were the ones that would uplift you. They were the ones that would defend you. Do you get where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. They were advocates for you. They were my advocates in school. They were the ones that would make sure that when my GCSEs didn't look so good, push those doors that when you said so I could do my A-levels. They were the ones that, when my A-levels maybe didn't look so good, they would push those doors and encourage me to apply to uni so that I could go to hearts. They were my advocates in school. And so that, that, you know, that, that's what I want to set up today. And then we're going to look at the reading in a minute, and hopefully uh, we can see that Jesus is our advocate. And so we're going to look at that, and hopefully you can see Jesus in your own lives advocating for you as well. Um, so yeah, before we read um, the scripture reading, so let's just pray together. Would you pray with me? Um, so Father, we just want to give you thanks for your word, your word that is breathing, that's living, that's active, that's sharper than any double-edged sword. And Lord, just pray that as, yeah, that as I speak, Lord, you speak through me, Father, that... Uh, that your son, Jesus Christ, will be made magnified so that, that your church will uh, see your face, Lord. That we will be drawn to him and love him more, more every day. Amen. 
So if you have your Bibles, they're on the, on the seat somewhere behind, and they'll also be on the screen. So we're going to be looking at John 8, uh, verses 1 to 11. So it should be on the screen, I believe. Yep, that's fine, yeah. So, yeah, John, uh, John 8, verse 1 to 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the crowd and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, No one, sir. And he replies with this, Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and live your life of sin. Amen. This is an amazing encounter that we read in the Gospel of John. Uh, we, we see Jesus in action. He's had to teach people, and we see Jesus, uh, we see his character. And when I read this, we see the Father's heart for us. We see God's heart and, and his passion for us. Uh, we see the people around him, what they came to listen to, what they wanted to hear. And then we see the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law, and, and their true aims and their true colors. And then we see this woman, how she responds to Jesus, and what goes on there. Furthermore, I think in this we can see how we should try to emulate Jesus and how we should try to be more like him in our everyday, in our lives, in how we portray the gospel to people. So I'm going to sort of, when I was reading this, um, I kind of saw it in four, four passages. So I'm going to break it down to you guys in four kind of slots, and we're going to look at it like scenes, and hopefully that will make some sense. If it doesn't, I'm really sorry, but I hope it's going to make sense. Okay, is that all right, yeah? Okay, so the first scene is this. If you, if you read John 7 previously, Jesus um, goes to the festival of tabernacles, and there he teaches in, in John 7, and he's teaching and he's doing miracles, but there's the scribes and the Pharisees who just want to kill Jesus. They want to aim uh, uh, to kill him because of what he's saying. And so by the end of chapter 7, Jesus retreats, he goes to pray, and then we read in chapter 8 that he comes to the temple to pray. Different translations say, at dawn Jesus came to teach those in the temple. So Jesus comes to teach people. Just a few things here I want to show you in this first scene. So he comes early in the morning, it's dawn, he comes and wants to teach. And you read in verse 2 and 3, that the people came to hear Jesus teach. He hasn't said they came to listen to the scribes or the Pharisees, but they came to hear Jesus teach. 
what I want to share with you is this. Already in the previous uh, gospel narrative, sort of in Matthew 7, at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the uh, Sermon of the Mount, we read that the people were fascinated with Jesus, that Jesus could captivate his audience, that he, he was speaking as one who had authority. He was speaking as one who, who could command the crowds, who could do things that nobody had ever seen. They were captivated by this Jesus. And we read in, in Mark as well that when Jesus speaks the word of God, people are blown away by what he's saying, that they've never seen anybody speak like him before. What I think we see when Jesus speaks is that love falls down on us. We see love in his words. When Jesus speaks, we encounter grace. When Jesus speaks, we encounter freedom. When Jesus speaks, we encounter safety. When Jesus speaks, we are freed from, from condemnation. We are freed from our guilt. We are f- when Jesus speaks, freedom reigns on our lives. And what you're going to see in this chapter, in this verse, is that when the Pharisee speaks, on the other hand, all we seem to get is condemnation. All we seem to get is accusations. They are the accusers. When they speak, legality happens. When they speak, religiosity happens. When they speak, it's not religion. It's religion, not, re- not faith, not loving relationship. It's different than Jesus. And we see Jesus being the complete opposite of the Pharisees. So here, people want to listen to Jesus. So he's sitting down. People come at his feet. And it's prepared to hear Jesus speak. And so let me take you into my, the second scene. So as Jesus prepares to sit, sit and teach people, I'm assuming people are silent, a bit like this, waiting for Jesus, Jesus to speak. And you can imagine, right? Just imagine in your own head, you're there at the feet of Jesus. He's there, he's about to sit sitting down, he's going to teach you guys. And then you start to hear some noise in the background, a ruckus. It's getting louder and louder. And you see uh, the Pharisees and the scribe who bring this woman and throw her in the midst of you guys, waiting to be heard or to be taught by Jesus, in the midst of you guys. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, this woman has been caught in adultery. They bring this woman right in front of Jesus, they chuck her right in the middle of there, and they say to her, essentially, or to Jesus, what do you say, Jesus. The law of Moses commands us to stone her. What do you say? Now, what, what we encounter seems you know, to be commended zeal for righteousness. We seem, at first, if you stop there, you think, well, those Pharisees are righteous in, in the interpretation of the law of Moses. You know, they, 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 they look at the sin and they, they, they're upset. They go, oh my goodness, this sin has happened. We must resolve this. But actually, what we see is shallow righteousness. They have no care for this woman. They don't care about her. They don't care about her, her, her soul, her well-being, her physicality. And I just want to share maybe some, some stuff that maybe you haven't thought of. But actually, we read that Jesus came to teach at dawn. It's highly unlikely that this woman was caught in adultery at dawn. So... She might have been caught in adultery the previous night. So the Pharisees might have kept her overnight in a jail cell. They might have kept her in prison before they brought her to Jesus. So really it shows you that the, the attitudes of the Pharisee of what they came to do is very different than Jesus. Furthermore, if, if you read Leviticus or Deuteronomy, um, actually 
the law of Moses says that the, both the man and the woman need to be brought to account. But you don't see that. You only see one person being brought to account. And again, that tells you a bit more about the Pharisees' aims, the Pharisees' goals, what they were trying to achieve. It wasn't about righteousness. It wasn't their zeal for the law of Moses. All that Amos sought to do was to trap Jesus, to condemn Jesus. Their religious motive was all deceitful. It was a political motivation to trap him and seek to kill Jesus. It's, it always seems, it seems to me that when, when you see this passage, there's a bit of a, it's very similar to, to, to what Israel's done throughout ancient times. It seems to me in this passage that the, the religious leaders of the day are again putting God to the test. They're putting the Son incarnate, Jesus Christ, to the test, as Israel's done so many times in the Old Testament, always putting God to the test. We're testing God, and we know what that looks like. And again, those Pharisees and those scribes are doing the exact same thing to Jesus. So after that, we have, we have the third scene. So they come, they bring this woman to Jesus, and Jesus' response, or lack of response, is actually quite memorable. He doesn't say anything. You know, you can imagine the crowds shouting, bring this woman and says, would you say Jesus? And silence again. And Jesus stoops on the ground, just doddles, writes on the floor. It's a strange thing, you know, I think just to sit down and, and not say anything, just write on the floor. But to me, that, that, that tells me that the spirit and the character of an advocate someone who is slow to speak. Jesus, slow to speak. That tells me that the spirit of an advocate is someone who doesn't mouth off but listens, sits with it, and then will respond. Jesus is on the floor. He writes there in the dust. And I want to maybe throw something at you and, and, and we can see what you think about this. But in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 13, we read that actually the writing in the dust signifies the total opposite of being written in the book of life. Could Jesus maybe allude that he was writing in the dust as an, as an allusion to the Pharisees not being written in the book of life because of their condemnation and their attitude and lack of grace towards this woman and himself? Sit with that however you want to. It's something I'm still working, but I thought I'd share that with you because that was quite an interesting fact as I was preparing for this. I think, I think if we're honest with ourselves, right? I, I know I am. Um, it's, it's kind of easy for us to, to carry the spirit of an accuser. You might say, hold on, Nick, hold on, Nick, I'm, I'm not an accuser, I, I don't do that, what are you talking about? I don't accuse people, I, I don't judge people. But I'm saying, if we're honest with ourselves, it's easy to carry that spirit of an accuser. I know in my own life, maybe even when I was retreat, <laughs> funny enough, you go to retreat, you kind of spend time with God, and you think, well, I'm not sure I like you, and you go, Nick, what are you doing? And you, it's easy to carry the spirit of an accuser in our own life. I know I've seen it, I'm not sure if you, you might have seen it in your own lives, but... But, but you see it 
if you go on Twitter, you see how people speak to one another. If, if, you, if you look on the news or, 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 or music or, or films, the way people respond to one another. Oh my goodness, I can't believe she did this or he did that. Or, have you seen what she's wearing? I, Nick, have you seen what, what, he, what he's doing? I cannot believe this. And especially in the cancel culture of the day, those, the aim of those people is just to cancel and end you, to throw stones at you until what well, you are nothing. All around us seems to be this massive spirit of accusation, a spirit of condemnation, one that doesn't have space for grace, one that hasn't got space for mercy or reconciliation. And I know it's easy in my life to have done that before as well. But every time we do that, we have to kind of go back to God and say, Jesus, I'm really sorry that I thought that way. I'm really sorry that I'm behaving this way. Give me your spirit. Give me your spirit of advocation. Let me be more like you, Jesus. And so they press him some more and they say, Jesus, what do you say? So Jesus stands up. And you can imagine the silence, right? Imagine like a courtroom when the judge walks into this courtroom. Complete silence. He walks in. Jesus stands and you have the Pharisees and the arrogance with stones in their hands just waiting to stone this woman. And Jesus comes up and says this, he who is without, without sin casts a stone at her first. Mic drop moment, jaws open. And so condemned and convicted, the oldest one drops the stones and walk away until the youngest walks away. And then just Jesus and the woman face to face. Jesus and this woman, the only one who has the right to condemn her, the only one who is without sin, the only one who is in his right authority to condemn her sinfulness, to condemn the sin of the nations, the sin of the world, the only one who can condemn my sin. And when I read this, I felt Jesus saying, Nick, you are like that woman. It says, Pastor, Reverend Bishop, you are like that woman. We are all like that sinful woman. But we have been saved by grace. We have been saved by the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid our sins on the cross so that we could not and don't have to be condemned. I read this and it felt like, Nick, this was you. This was you. And when you read this, Jesus stands up, I'm sure with a smile, and looks at her and says, woman, where are your accusers? She looks around and says, where are they? Does it accuse you? And she says, they're not here. And Jesus says, then neither do I charge you with an offense. How amazing is that? The only one who could truly condemn us. He says, I don't charge you with an offense. Go in peace. How amazing is that? And so she goes in peace. Can you imagine the crowds we put us looking? I'm just taken aback by that simple fact that Jesus doesn't condemn us. The Pharisees came with their actions to, to bring judgment to her, but the charge didn't stick. The one who could condemn her refuses to do so because, like Thomas said before in John 3, 17, that Jesus came into the world um, not to condemn it. But to save it through him. Jesus grants a pardon, but not acquittal. 
his non-condemnation is quite different than the Pharisees. Jesus is our great advocate. He is the great high priest who intercedes on our behalf in the heavens. We read Job, he says, my advocate is in the heavens sitting at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is this great advocate. And that's what we're saying this morning when you had those three teachers of mine who were advocating on my behalf. You guys have this great advocate sitting on high at the right hand of the Father, God who pleads and intercedes on your behalf. You have the great accuser, the enemy who wants to accuse you, who wants to, to bring you down, who wants to make you feel guilty, who wants to bring your past and all that shame that we might have carried. But we have Jesus on high who continuously intercedes on our behalf. And Jesus says, son, daughter, woman, man, I love you. You, you are not that. I love you. You are not what the enemy says. I love you. You are not what the world is pushing at you. I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are royalty. You are heir to the kingdom. Jesus is interceding on your behalf, guys. He is your great advocate. He's not your accuser. He just loves you. I don't think the world needs any more people with spirits of accusation. I think the world needs more spirits of advocacy, of love, of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of, of joy, of bringing back into relationship, into fellowship. It's grace that sets people free from sin. It's not accusations. It's not legality. It's not legalism. It's not customs. It's not it's just the grace of God. So I don't know where you're at right now this morning. I don't know what's going on in your week, past few weeks. But I just want to tell you this one guarantee that you have a helper and an advocate on high who is continuously interceding and pleading on your behalf. So Father, I just want to pray that we continue to press more deeply into your grace to keep your commandment and that your love will continuously flow out of our lives. Amen. Stand together. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right.